systems initiated. You are listening to the Empire Podcast Network. As an actor, I made a career out of surviving personal and family dramas on daytime television. Now, in real life, I've also had my fair share of challenges, just like everybody else. But TV and film could be a nice escape from our own daily struggles. Well, let's face it. Life is not TV and film. Yeah. It's time to keep it real. With Real Conversations with Jacob Young. Sponsored by Boys Town. My guest this week is a writer, a filmmaker. He's also an award-winning actor. And TV fans will recognize him from Days of Our Lives and General Hospital. He played fan favorite Sean Douglas Brady on Days of Our Lives before returning to daytime TV to play Matt Hunter on General Hospital. And in between TV roles, he began writing and directing his own films. In 2018, he wrote and produced and directed the critically acclaimed The, the Creatress, featuring Peter Bogdanovich and Fran Drescher. Now, I'm going to be working with him as an actor on his latest project, Four for Fun, uh, that we are shooting this summer. It's one of the coolest scripts I've read in a very long time. And my guest this week is the very talented Jason Cook. You know what time it is. It's time to keep it real with Real Conversations with Jacob Young, sponsored by Boys Town. Welcome, Jason. Thanks for having me, Jacob. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for waking up at the crack of Grandma Walton's, you know what, to uh, join us this morning. <laughs> <laughs> Always up this early, up nice and early, quiet a good time to write i'm an early riser too i I, i'm early to bed and early to wake i think it's because of our background on the shows that we were working on that started at 7 a.m like i'm sure you had the same kind of call times as me (laughs) you know like hair and makeup were like 7 15 for me usually yeah so and i had a use i used to drive an hour to work so i could never get up for like high school or college i was always like i woke up the last minute it's i think it's, it's just stayed with me and and maybe with you i don't know i i, I you tell me but like that's that's what changed me like i i've not slept in since 99 when i started on days <laughs> since- i'm pretty sure that's true <laughs> i don't know you know for me i as a kid i had to get up i worked on the farm and it was always early mornings i started drinking coffee at like seven years old um, I remember the, I remember the, yeah, I remember the first time I, I was with my dad, I was, we're like bucking bales of hay and he's, you know, I'm like, dad, I'm thirsty. And he hands me this thermos of coffee and he goes, it'll wet your whistle, son. That's what he- <laughs> caffeine at seven years old, but you already had so much energy. Well, yeah, I probably did. Actually I had ADD. So like it was probably straightening me out a little bit. My dad probably figured that as like, he's like, he needs something. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least he had a farm to put you to work on to burn your energy out. Oh you know? yeah. Yeah. There was long days. So where was the farm? I oh, know it was Oregon, but yeah, no. So I, I grew up in Oregon and Washington. Washington is where my dad's farm is at. And Oregon oh, okay. is where my mom lived. And I split my time because they were divorced. And uh, I, and when I was in Oregon, I worked for dairy farms. Uh, that was how I kind of paid for my own stuff in high school and insurance, cars, stuff like that, clothing. 
And so dairy farms are much different beasts than a beef farm because beef farm, you kind of just feed the cows, clean the stalls, and that's it. With dairy farming, obviously, you have to milk cows. And that's a huge undertaking. It's uh, the farm that I worked with was like a 1500 head of cattle that need to be milked twice a day. And oh, anybody who's ever worked on a dairy farm, it's it's a mess, you know, because they're coming in mm-hmm. on both sides of the chute. The one I worked in was called a sunken parlor. So you're down below the cows, but they're all automatic machines. But, you know, they're doing their business while they're getting milked and you're just getting splashed and peed on and. <laughs> It's, it's not pretty. I mean, eventually you start getting used to it, but, uh, but you never get used to the yeah. smell because, you know, you'll come, you'll come home. I take, I would take my stuff off because I was in high school and my mom would wash it. And then I'd take a shower and I come back into the laundry. I'm like, Whoa, is that how I smelled when I got in the car this morning? <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> yeah. I, but I've actually experienced it not on a cow farm, but on a pig farm. Um, and we were, I was shooting a movie actually. And we, the, the pigs were, we were waiting for the, the pigs to get pigging or have babies. And that was a facility where they have like the iron grate that they all stand on and all the piss and shit just goes straight down and then washes out. But that smell stays in the facility. Oh. They have to keep warm for all the babies. <laughs> and so, and we were in there waiting for this to get the shot of the pig giving birth for like, I don't know, four, four or five hours. And I think I actually did get used to it after like hour three, but it's, it's something that if you haven't experienced that before, it's a different smell to categorize in your brain. Oh yeah. Sure. Yeah. No, it's, it's, <laughs> it pierces the nose and into the brain. Like it's, it yeah. is, it's, it's pretty horrible. I mean, Horses, you yeah. know, a lot of people are like, well, horses are fine. But if you've ever had to clean a bunch of horse stalls, that's also stinky. I mean, it just doesn't get down to business. It's it's poop, you know? Yeah. <laughs> You're yeah. cleaning I, it. I immediately go to Jurassic Park with Jeff Goldblum with the Triceratops. Well, that's a lot of shit. Yeah, it is sure. <laughs> <laughs> So you're right in the middle of your latest project, Four for Fun, as writer, director, producer combo. Now, I, I know you have very long weeks. And again, thank you so much for taking the time to squeeze this in. Um, and we've known each other for a very long time. And I've always known that you're a smart guy. I mean, look, right now I'm looking at this uh, time travel equation that's behind you. Uh, you're a very talented writer. Do you think it's more important to be book smart, street smart, or both? Oh, both for sure. Both for sure. I think that, I mean, I was always a book nerd growing up and I had a hard time socially. So I, I struggled with it from, from that side my whole life. Um, which is, I think what would end up like by me gravitating into books even more. And, um, like I, I remember even on like a set of days, like Farrah Fath used to always make fun of the, the crap I was reading like all the time. But, you know, that only will get you so far. And I think like in my once I hit my 20s, getting into like working life and also being, um, you know, forced to talk in front of a lot of people, not as an actor, but as you know, when you do all the publicity stuff that I'm sure you've talked about on this show and your listeners have heard about um, to some extent, it changes you uh, into you have to adapt into being, you know, more street smart. And 
it's kind of like uh, like the example I always use with this type of topic is the Star Trek example, where you have the captain that can captain the ship, and then you have Scotty in the engineering room who has to actually make the thing go, and you don't get anywhere without both of them. So uh, you yes, you it's it, you'd always need to. I love learning anyways, but no, you need to be applying that stuff in street smarts, like with the movie that we're making together, like. Yeah, there's more street smarts than book smarts going into what's going to make that movie go because we're a really, really small production. And when something goes wrong, you have to be able to, you know, fix it. And that's, that's experience. That's street smarts. And that's being able to, that's like the engineering brain, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. I totally agree. Uh, you know, one thing I always talk to, you know, people who come up to me, young actors or parents that want their kids to be actors and things like that is, you know, I said, yeah, go, get in school, study, go to a class, study, but also learn the business. You know, make sure you understand yeah. what goes on behind it and how it works. The sooner you understand that, the faster you can accelerate and get Scotty working that engine. <laughs> you're I, I I look up to you with that because I even when you're telling me about this podcast before we started like what made you get into it and stuff and all these other different avenues that you've gone down I think you're better at that than me for sure like you you've had you have an aptitude for that but I don't well I appreciate that um I think we I think we both have our, our strong points and our weaknesses for sure but uh but thank you I'll take that all the way to the bank now, you wrote, directed, and produced the film The Creatress. It's available on Amazon Prime for anyone out there who wants to see it. It's really smart. It's a really interesting indie movie. Can you tell our listeners the premise of The Creatress and how you came up with the idea? Yeah, it's about an, uh, an author. Uh, her name is Erin Bello, and she decides to take out literary revenge on her critics. Um, so... It, it's like a, it's a, it's a meta narrative. It's a meta movie. So I wanted to make a movie about what it feels like to write a book um, after having done it. And because that's the process that I got a ton of questions when I started doing it, people were asking me that all the time. And there, there is this like fantasy notion of what it is to write a book. And so I was like, Oh, well, I think a movie can really do a better job of capturing that experience than anything that I could ever explain. So I, I wrote it and it, you know, it's about an author that gets stuck in writer's block. And so she starts to try out living these little, you know, like lifetime movie type fantasies and then writing about it so she can, you know, regain her authenticity. So she's going out to live these experiences and then write down what she discovers. Um, except while she's doing that, this critic that's played by Peter Bogdanovich. Who's first of all, Peter Bogdanovich, Oscar award-winning Peter Bogdanovich. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Yes. It was amazing. I couldn't believe that he wanted to do this movie. I was like, wait, what? Um, So anyway, he showed up, you know, when I talked to him on the phone, actually about the project, I just couldn't even believe that I was calling his cell phone. <laughs> wild concept. Like, Hey Peter, it's Jason. Nice to talk to you. Um, and he was so wonderful. He was so awesome. He actually was like, he only had a, a, like 15 minutes to chat about it. And we stayed on the phone and he was like, I got to go. He was going to the Hollywood bowl to go see his buddy, Tom Petty. 
Um, I'll never forget it. But we stayed on the phone for like an hour and he's like, we got to keep talking. We got to keep talking. I'm like, okay, just call me tomorrow or something. And he did. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, it was amazing. So anyways, he plays the critic in it. Um, and I think the reason he was excited about it was because uh, he had a feud with the critic back in the seventies when he was winning all the awards nominated for Academy Awards, you know, and, and was making a ton of movies. Like um, it was after picture show. It was more like the what's up doc stuff and critics started to come after him and be like, you're not for real. You're just a, you know, a jokester kind of guy. And so I, I and there's a, there's interviews you can find on YouTube about these guys going after him. And I, I asked him, I'm like, Hey, you want to play sort of like a caricature of this critic that I know that you hated. And he was like, no, because he's too much of an asshole and you don't want that big of an asshole in your movie. So, um, <laughs> so he played a version of it. <clears throat> and what he does is he writes a fake memoir about this author because he just hates everything that she stands for. He hates like the, the, female novel lifetime concept like escapism he just doesn't think there's any value to it and so he attacks her like being like i'm really highbrow and you're really you know you write these stupid books so i'm gonna like sink your career and so what she does is she then reverses it and she writes she gets literary revenge against him it's basically like mocking what he made so it's it's a it's a head trip. Yeah. <laughs> what motivated you to make the transition from being in front of the camera to being a filmmaker? It's a great question. It, it's, it was a couple different things. Uh, one of them was <clears throat> when I was working on days and working across from great actors, learning from them. Uh, eventually I hit the point where I saw them doing such incredible work. And, and I worked with a lot of great people. Like, I, I know you did too. Um, uh, on, on days, there were, there were so many, so many talented people. I mean, you'd almost have to list off most of the cast. But um, I, I just, I saw this amazing talent in front of me, and then I would like see how they would be shooting it or wa- end up watching the show. And I felt like they were missing it or missing the potential of where these actors could go. Um, I'll, I'll give you a really good example of it. And this happened when I went back actually to do the 50th Peggy McKay, who played Caroline Brady for um, like 420 years <laughs> when the this, this show started yeah. in the Renaissance. In the Renaissance, um, yeah. <laughs> She, uh, yeah, you didn't know that they actually used to do days of our lives with the white headwigs for the, <laughs> I knew it was an old show. I just didn't really, yeah, it's how, a how... very old show. People always say guiding light was the oldest show. No, <laughs> uh, it was, it was days. King Louis XIV love days. Of our lives. Um, <laughs> so, uh, no, Peggy McKay played Caroline Brady. And uh, I'm sure this is on YouTube. If listeners want to go find it, but for the 50th anniversary, she had to do this like big speech she she and she got a big moment that they wrote for her and dude she was so good and i actually got him i'm getting emotional just thinking about what this performance was because she was in she was an actor actually an actor's studio actress when she was younger and starting out and she got to do this speech 
and just crushed it. And it, this was for the 50th anniversary. So I was only back there for like two weeks to just kind of, it was like a reunion thing. And I was like grateful that they gave her that moment because that show so rarely did allow actors to be actors and just completely shine the way that they can and utilize their talent. Um, but the reason I left the show is because I wanted to just do that. I just wanted to find ways to, to get actors to, you know, to push them and, and get to do stuff that you just don't often get to do. You know, I'm, I'm really grateful that the show gave Peggy that opportunity because so often she was just in such a narrow lane on that show. Um, and then they finally let her, yeah, she had her moments to break out and stuff, but it wasn't very often. And it was, and there were so, so many actors on that show that were that talented that just didn't, didn't get to show it. And so mm -hmm. I started to write stuff. Like the first thing I did from days, I did this um, comedy thing, which is sort of like a Christopher Guest deal with a bunch of actors. Some of them from my show, some of them not. Um, like Matt Ashford got to play uh, Staben Shevelberg um, in this comedy thing I did. So the first real movie that I made after like my little comedy Christopher Guest thing was a movie called Social Security Guard. And it was with John Engel, starring John Engel. Um, and it was a movie that I made about my grandfather. Uh, after my grandmother passed away, he was feeling her and experiencing her. But he also, because my grandfather got married when he was 17, 18, 17 or 18, he never went through his adolescence. Like he got married when he was still in school to my grandmother because he met her on the line at Nabisco. She, uh, she passed at 77 and he had, he lived two more years, but he was going through his adolescence at 77 years old. And it was so fun to write it and then to get John Engel to just play around with it. And it was so fun. And, and it gave him an opportunity to do stuff that again, like when uh, I don't, I didn't know him on general hospital. You, I, I know you know him. I've been, you, please tell me some stories. Cause I'm sure they're <laughs> great. But like when he came to days, he, he was recast for somebody else. And it was kind of like a, this thankless part. Like they didn't give him a lot to do. And, that man was so warm and so smart and so experienced. Uh, he taught at Hollywood High School. Well, that's—I was he, just going to say that. For like forty years. Yeah, yeah he—he okay. he yeah, was—he yeah. was, he was the drama teacher at Hollywood High. Now, for any listeners yeah. out there, it's a revolving door uh, for young actors, that famous actors, lots of famous actors that have attended Hollywood High, uh, who grew up in Hollywood, and the fact he had stories for days about oh, yeah. so many famous actors that, that he taught in high school. Yeah. Oh, John, you know, John Travolta. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, what? Uh, you know, Nick, Nick Cage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I these totally. <laughs> yeah. He was, yeah, he, he was a he sweet was man. Good. He had stories uh, for days at, for years. So you could yeah. just talk to him. Um, always a yeah. new one too. Um, he was driving himself to set and then work. We shot that movie in four days on film and he drove himself to set every single day and worked 12 hour days. Like, no, like it was nothing. He was in his late seventies when he was doing this. Yeah. Like no big deal. Well, he was full of life. I mean, that guy was full he of was, life always, you know, he was just incredible. Like we were, I was worried about him. I wanted to get him a driver and he's like, 
no, this get it, get into another lens, make the movie better. I'm like, okay. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> awesome. Now, we, you know, in my show here, we deal a lot with and talk a lot about mental health and your first documentary numb to life explored pharmaceutical yeah. drug use and abuse. Um, what did you learn about substance abuse from making this movie? The theory of that film was that market share was being stolen away from illegal drug dealers by the pharmaceutical companies, that they were selling better drugs cheaper than what your street corner guy was doing. So I went all over the world with that. I mean, but like one of them was just up in San Francisco. I went out to the streets in the Tenderloin. And instead of them selling crack, they were selling oxys because they were cheaper and they got you more high. So it was like the, the pharma companies were literally squeezing out the drug dealers on the corner. They were like, we can do it better for cheaper. And we have better distribution networks than illegal drug dealers. So yeah. that was the premise of the movie. And we just kind of took it from there. Yeah, there's, there's a lot. Of, obviously, there's been a lot of talk over the years about the pharmaceutical industry. Um, and just how corrupt and evil it is. Uh, there's that new, uh, I think it's an HBO series, Dope Sick, that's coming yeah. out about that exact thing. I'm glad they're shedding a lot more light onto it. Um, you know, I, as a um, as a young man, you know, you know, you are susceptible to you know living in Hollywood and working and having too much money in your pockets. I too fell, you know, uh, fell victim and fell into the trap of uh, pharmaceuticals. Um, like so many people did and, you know, yeah. I've gotten past all that many years ago, but, um, but yeah, but it, what a, you know, a timely subject. And I'm, I'm glad even just educating people about what they were doing and the reason why it was so available to everybody, um, is so important. Do you, do you like all your movies to have a message for the audience to learn from? Yeah, I mean, sure. Yeah, of course, because you're going to take two hours of somebody's life. <clears throat> there ought to be a good reason to sit there and uh and give your time to it so yeah i think that that there should be some sort of significance to it and you know documentaries are a little bit more clear with their message because they kind of live breathe and die by it um movies you know some people argue that there's more truth in fiction and so there should be some sort of like significance to the truth that that a movie gets after um it doesn't always have to be that way. You can just you can create out and out entertainment. But where I'm at, with as infrequently as I get to work, uh, you know, I, I just tend to try and put a little bit more into it. But um, that's just my approach to it. But I didn't know about your whole thing and like back in the day with the with the pharma stuff. That's that's. I mean, every time I hear that, when I especially when I was making the movie, I'm I was. It surprised in the beginning. And then as I got into it, it's like oh, people started coming out and telling me their stories and it was rampant. And I was like, Oh my God, I had no, I actually really was naive when I started that project. I didn't realize how bad it was, mm. how many people were actually into it. People that I knew, good friends, guys on my soccer team that were completely addicted 
and came to talk to me. And I'm like, I'm not a counselor, but I mean, here's a person that I interviewed. Maybe you talk to this person, yeah. you know, it's a, uh, you know, it was, ab- it's absolutely, it was like many people's story. It's a, uh, I had a dentist appointment. I was given Vicodin, you know, then the Vicodin, you know, I, you know, down the road, I wanted more of those when I when I got another dental surgery or had an injury on my leg. And, and then next yeah. thing you know, I'm addicted to it and wanting more of it. And it was just a downward spiral. And, just an absolute miserable time in my life. The time that I spent trying to find the drug, how much money I spent trying to get it, because once it was on the street, you know, and there was, there's deregulation, regulations that were happening uh, at that point um, towards the end of my addiction that ended up making it more expensive, harder to find. Um, And then it just became this really dark secret that I was keeping from my wife. Um, for my family. And finally I just was like, enough was enough. And I broke, you know, and, um, I got help. I went to therapy. I, it was, I, it was more than just, you know, being addicted to, there was other things that were behind it. The mental issues that were behind why I felt I needed to be numbing myself. It wasn't just because, Hey, I wanted to recreationally take this because there was a deeper rooted reason. And I decided to get help. I not only help, but therapy and, you know, counseling and, um, I became uh, open with everybody and started talking about it. So, um, but yeah, so man, it's it, good, man. Yeah. Thank I'm you. Good. Um, what are some of the movies that influenced you to be a filmmaker? <sighs> ah, I mean, how long, how long is this podcast? <laughs> <clears throat> um, I mean, I was always, influenced movies from a really young age and it was partly because my mom loved movies so i ended up watching a lot of stuff that she liked um and probably some of them at an age when it was oh you know my dad would have argued it's a little young for me to be watching like arachnophobia or terminator (laughs) or i mean robocop um i'll buy that for a dollar yeah. <laughs> I remember I was watching the thing for the first time. Uh, and I ran out of the room after the first scene when the wolf converts, you know, or turns into the alien thing. I just ran out of the room. I was <laughs> terrified. Um, my mom liked a lot of horror movies. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know exactly like where I'd say like, Oh, the, the, the switch flipped, but I was always, shooting stuff too when i was a kid like i have that you know that story when you just take your dad's video camera and you go out and you start shooting stuff with your friends and you start telling your friends to do funny things and uh and that was at a time where there was no editing right we're old so you would like i would shoot the shot and i would push pause on the camera and then i'd move to the second angle and do that and then you do that until the battery dies and then you switch the battery out and then you kind of like mess up your edit there. That's where your, your like your Hong Kong edit comes in where it's like all of a sudden it jumps somewhere and then you keep going. And so I, I used to, I used to do those like around the house and, and I think I arguably got stupider as I got older making them because I would have to go bigger. So I'd be like, get my buddy to jump out of the second story window. Cause it would look cool. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, just, just tuck and roll, just tuck and roll. You'll be fine. <laughs> you can do this. You're young. Your bones aren't brittle yet. <laughs> oh man. Um, yeah. So I just, I started just messing around with the, the camera and 
and I always wrote like, that's the other thing. I was like, I, I think I came back to doing this instead of grew into doing this. Like the, the whole acting thing was that that came out of nowhere. That, that was like a really big surprise to everybody in my family, um, including me. So, well, you've come from a, a, a tight knit, close knit family. How important has your family support been enabling you to achieve your dreams and your goals? I, so I was, I'm surprised. I, I'm still to this day, how supportive they were because, you know, like I told you, I was, I was a nerd growing up and I was, you know, whatever bookish. So it was expected that I was going to go to a prestigious college and get a great degree. Um, I was more into soccer growing up. So I thought, Oh, I could probably, you know, play a couple of years over in Europe or something like not, not even on a big team, but like it's just a small team where they just like basically pay you to travel around and like, here's 5,000 bucks and you, so that's actually what, more of what I was thinking at the time. Um, and then when I was in high school, I did, I did the play in high school and a manager came to see me and asked me if I wanted to be an actor. I was like, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, and then they sent me out, got an agent, which was crazy. I, I don't even know why that agency signed me I, I, to this day. I'm really grateful for it because like, I just never saw it coming. And then I, I started to get, I started to get parts, you know, and I liked it. I really did. It, like, I thought it was a lot of fun. Like I just, I couldn't believe how much fun, like when I did the theater show at high school, like that's really where it, I got bit by the bug. Cause you go out onto the stage and you do something silly and you get a laugh and it's like, whoa, like that's a drug. Yeah. Like just getting a laugh. Like I, anytime you hear a stand-up comic talk about it, like not that I was a stand-up comic, but the first thing I did was a comedy and it was so fun getting laughs. And you, you start, you know, you're in high school. So you start doing way too much because you just like get addicted to the laughter. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's when I was hooked. But what, what, happened, what's, I don't know your story. I, do you, can you tell it or have you told it too many times on this podcast? Uh, I don't think I've really told it on the podcast. I mean, I mean, oh, what, how, how I got my story. Your listeners want to hear no. yeah, where, where was, where did that switch flip for you? Yeah. Well, I mean, it was high school. It was high school. I was, okay. I, I, I'd always been in involved in, um, choir, boys choir, acapella choir. And then because I was in choir, the musical theater, the drama department, they, they asked me if I wanted to, you know, audition for guys and dolls and, um, you know, and I did my first, you know, my, my first, uh, stage performance, but I was always sort of like a, an actor. Like I was always dressing up and doing funny stuff around the campfire and things like that as a kid. And, and, uh, yeah, I played the harmonica, I played the guitar. So I, I was just, you know, Performing was always in my blood. I mean, there, there, there was actually another time where it sort of switched to, I was, I guess I was in middle school and my dad was a member of the moose, the, the loyal order of the moose, right? Which those mm -hmm. things have sort of kind of faded out. Um, they have they, a moose lodge here like down the street. I take that back. They have not faded out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I used to go there because, you know, my dad was a member and dinner was like pretty cheap. So I'd go out with my dad and they'd have karaoke. Now, granted, like there was always, it was all like 50 plus year old people that were there. My uncle Bob was a member also. And, and so we would play pool. He actually taught me how to play pool. Um, and he also, <laughs> anyway, he would get up and sing karaoke, but he'd sing like, um, like these really old fifties, like standards, like white sport coat and a pink carnation, you know, that's that type of thing. 
And so I, I finally got the courage to do that. And I don't know, a couple of ladies, they, they liked what I did. So they'd send me Roy Rogers. They'd pay me in Roy Rogers, uh, you know, those drinks, you know, you know, yep, yep. cherry sodas. Um, and so that, that was really like, I, w- I realized I wanted to perform and it, whatever that was going to be, how it was going to be, I would make that happen. And my high school senior year, I was getting ready to go to college and I started auditioning for commercials to try to make some scratch. I'd moved to San Diego. So I was, tra- I was driving back and forth from San Diego to Los Angeles and Dang. three months in, uh, of auditioning, which is not a normal thing. Just put that out there for anybody who's listening. It doesn't, it sometimes people spend a lifetime trying to make it happen. Um, I booked the national Pepsi commercial, the bold and the beautiful and the show, all that on Nickelodeon simultaneously. And obviously I took the contract and the rest is history. Awesome. So that's, you did all that, huh? No, I, I had booked it simultaneously, but the, you know, uh, they wouldn't let me do both shows. Brad Bell was like, no, you got to sign the contract or, you know, or, or do that right. show. So all that was, was Amanda Bynes doing that then? Or was she, she might've been just a little younger than me, but that show went on for a long time. You know, um, right, what's his right. name from SNL was on there. Um, that was a great, yeah, that was, no, Keenan. all that was actually a great show. It was awesome. The, the, you know, really, the guy uh, who wrote it and produced it was the, the heavy set dude from, uh, um, head of the class. I was surprised. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah. I was surprised. Like when I went in and he was the producer of the show and I auditioned and he really liked me. They wanted me to come on. And of course I didn't end up doing that. I could be on SNL today. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is good. You're talking about people don't know how funny you are, at least in my experience. That's why you're doing the, the playing George and four for fun because it's, it's, a, you know, we need funny there. Well, um, I appreciate that, man. I'm, I'm looking forward to it without giving too much of it away. Of course, can you tell our audience a little bit about four for fun? Well, I mean, at this point it is weird to talk about it because, you know, we haven't shot it yet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we shot, um, I've shot 20% of it. So this the, it's a dinner party movie and it's about a couple coming over to dinner with another couple, uh, who happens to be, uh, let's see, it's not the good, the best way of introing it. Uh, a woman is going to dinner to her boss's house and brings her husband along and her boss has a, a beautiful, uh, spiritual wife and, turns out that the invitation is not what they think it is. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, and it's also a time loop movie where they, it resets, but it's different than Groundhog's Day. And the fact that the characters don't evolve from each reset, but the audience benefits from having seen it over and over again. Um, but this is all like, uh, uh, speculative at this point because we haven't shot it yet. And really, I think any movie you actually really discover, like if you go into it, like we, we can't be that rigid with it because we're, you know, this, this low budget production, uh, we we're limited with what we can do. So we got to go in and, 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 and invent it on the spot. It's like, it, it is like theater or whatever, where you, we have a recipe and then we, we've actually got to make it 
you know, got to make it come alive that night and put it on the table and, and serve it. And, and so we're going to kind of discover it together, I think. So that's a great yeah. way of putting it though. It's, it, it will be that way. And that's, you know, if it hasn't, as it, as it evolves, it's going to evolve naturally. And, um, there will be changes. There'll be things that you're going to be, I know you, you're going to, you're definitely going to see something and go, you know what? That's a great idea. Let's go that way with it. Um, let's bring that out. Yeah, yeah. Like let's, let's make it more about that than this, because this is working right now. And then I, I, I like going into it being that open because I mean, especially a movie like this, where it's like, we have, you have yourself um, and, and three other actors that are so good. It's like, I feel so fortunate that we have this cast together. It's, 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 we're already in, I know we're in great shape and now it's like, it comes back to the principle I was talking before about working on the shows. It's like, I want it. I want to create an experience for actors that I felt like I was not getting and the people around me weren't getting when I was on the shows where you can bring out more from what we can all do and deliver. And that ends up being fun. It's like being on a sports team and just, you know, selling out, giving 110% and making the game winning dive or the you know game winning save or the game winning goal. Like put people in a position where they can, they can, they can win like that. And, you know, and if you win each scene mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and you stack them up enough side by side, then you can really have something special. Well, I can tell you right now, reading the script, working with Jason, it is going to be special. It's a, it's a really cool piece. Now, knowing Jason, you, that I, that I know today, and um, if you could take a ride in the Jacob Young time machine, mm-hmm. what advice? Back to time travel. I like back it. to time travel. Always comes right back around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what advice would you give teenage Jason Cook? <sighs> Well, I wasn't expecting you to go there. Um, I don't know, man, because I'll tell you, like you were talking about how you got very fortunate three months in, got your jobs. Um, I, I did too, to a certain extent. I, I wasn't like that much of an ace, but I was, <laughs> it took me a little bit longer, but I, I, by 19, I had a contract, you know, I was, I was working on a show at 19 years old, which was amazing. And uh, I, I thought it was going to get fired in 13 weeks. Like I really didn't think it was going to last. I think we all think that um, every 13 week cycle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I actually did the math about what the minimum I was going to get paid on the show was. Ugh. I was like, is it worth leaving my job? Because this is the most I'm going to make <laughs> 13 weeks times, whatever the, the equation was. Um, you know, I, 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 if I would have known it was going to be this hard, because it ended up getting really hard for me because I went the independent route. Um, I, I don't know if my teenage self would have wanted to go down that path because, you know, at that time stuff was kind of clicking in a little bit easier. So I don't know if I would give myself advice because I'm I'm really happy about where I am right now, but I, I didn't realize it was going to be this hard. I really didn't. Um, I thought I could just work really hard and earn it. And it's in this line of work. And this is what I've told a lot of people that want to get into entertainment is, you know, there, there is so much of it that has to do with luck that you can't control. So you've got to love it so much that you'll do it. Even in the face of adversity 
that's almost constant. Um, and that's for me, what it does come down to is like, I, I just, I love storytelling that much that I have to do this mm-hmm. like more than want to do it. And so, you know, I, I don't know if I would give myself any advice other than just stick with it because, but I was going to do, I, I've done that anyway. Yeah. So I but think I, I, I think overall that's great advice for any career, any, I don't care. We talk about a lot on the show about if you're a janitor, be the best damn janitor. You won't, you know, if that's, if that's your goal, you know, just, yeah. just follow through, stick with it. If you want to work at a fast food restaurant, be the, be the best. And I, I know even when I was working at a gas station, when I was a kid and working on a farm, I wanted to impress. Yeah. You, you can't, you know, you, maybe it's just a means to an end or you're going to end up, you know, moving on to something else, but do it wholeheartedly and it'll take you much, much further. That's what I can say. I couldn't, couldn't agree more, man. I mean, I, I, it, taking pride in your work is, is so important and you put, it doesn't matter what job you do. Like my, none of my family is in entertainment, but they all are very prideful about the work that they do. And I think that is what led to their success. You know, I have a family that grew up, you know, got out of Harlem basically and, and got somewhere and, I think it was the, you know, my mom was a preschool teacher and was so passionate about it. And my dad was an engineer and he was so passionate about it. Um, but the, I think the other part of it too, is like, even if you do have this job, like we, we've all worked crappy jobs. I, I definitely had them when I was younger. Um, before I started working on the shows, I think if you take interest in the people that are around you, whether it's a fast food restaurant, you're a janitor, but like, if you're really present, you're always most likely the job that you're going to have, you're going to be interacting with people. You're not going to be working in a cave solo. <laughs> and, um, it's true. you know, if you just take passion with the people that you're surrounded with, and I think that's really the simple math on it. And I know I've always been guilty of that because I used to get in trouble at my old job. You know, I was like a kind of like a telemarketing kind of thing. And I would get in trouble because I'd be talking to these people um, longer than I would, was supposed to. But I was just always kind of a curious person with people. And, um, and that's why I liked that job, because I got to interact with so many different people uh, and got this like life experience that I wasn't getting in high school. Um, and then when we started on the show... I, you did PAs, right? You, I mean, you and I did one together in Canada. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. It was Toronto, I believe. Toronto. Yeah. yeah. Wonderland. Exactly. Yeah. Um, that one was crazy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> wasn't Drake Hogus in there too? Yeah. Drake was there. Yeah. yeah. He, <laughs> I worked with him. I worked with him recently on a Hallmark movie in, in Utah. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Yeah. He's so cool, oh, man. Isn't so he nice. awesome? He's so nice, man. His stories about baseball. All that's just so great, man. It's just, He's another guy that people don't know is hilarious. Oh yeah. He should be doing stand up. He's so funny. He's so funny. Anyway, I know we've got to get this to the, to the finish line here, but when, when I was doing the show, one of my biggest joys about it, cause I was really frustrated at work, but when we were doing the PAs, like the amount of people that we got to meet all across the country and in different countries. Um, I know you even traveled more than me. Or I know bold, you, you traveled more than me, but I always was so 
I loved that experience of being able to like meet people from, I mean, I, I, by the time I left that show at 26, I'd been to every 47 States. Yeah. It's amazing. That was, that's like one of the things I'm like the proudest of is I got to meet so many people from so many different places. It, yeah. was, it was great. Some cool, some pretty weird, I'm sure. <laughs> well, yeah, you got to take the good with the bad, but like uh, the good ultimately outweighs the bad. No, but. It, but it's, it's, it's a wonderful feeling too, to, to be, have that kind of love and the love for the show that you were working on. Um, and, and people remind you of that. It's, um, you know, and I, and I don't, I don't mean that in like a, like, Hey, look at me sort of way, but in a way that it just, you know, you're being recognized for the good works you're doing and being present, right. And you're being present with them and it goes a long way. Again, it doesn't, doesn't uh, matter what you do. If you're an actor or you're a musician or an artist of some sort, or just working at a fast food restaurant, you know, like Jason said, and such great advice, man, just be present. Just be present. That's, and that's what four for fun's about. But like, it's, I, it's such a simple thing to, it, it, which makes it really difficult to do well. But man, when you can do that and it, it, it's, 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 I think that's where like the greatest, you know, joy can happen. Cause like, it, it's actually like, it's so simple. It's like a magic trick. You can unlock it and surround you all the time. But I don't know. I also got in trouble for doing it at work and stuff. Or when we would do these PAs are like, all right, we got to move it along. We got to move it along. <laughs> you only got an hour. Uh, you got uh, 80 more people to get yeah. through. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Where's I'm, the craziest place that you went? Where's like the, or mem- like one of the most memorable places that you went to do those? Uh, well, I mean, two years, a couple of years, three years ago. Well, yeah, it was maybe a little bit more now. Three and a half years ago, I went to South Africa with Bold and Beautiful, um, Johannesburg awesome. and, and uh, Cape Town. And, um, you know, it was not only memorable because, you know, it's always a place that I've always wanted to see, but just because it was the fans were truly fanatic. I mean, it was unbelievable the response, probably the biggest response I'd ever received anywhere. Um, you know, and you know, obviously there was posh trips to like Monte Carlo and and stuff like that. And Copenhagen, I went up there into the Netherlands to Finland. That was pretty cool. Which, which show this is for bold bold. Yeah. 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 Doing the wrong show. (laughs) Sorry about your luck on days of our lives. Um, But, uh, it, you know, I mean, but truly, truly amazing experiences, um, uh, and, and very memorable because to travel is cool anyway, but to travel with the show, um, that has such, so much support in all these different countries was, was, was awesome. And it was awesome to see people speaking to me in different languages and from different parts of the world. It's just, it's cool, man. It was a, it was a great experience. I I would never trade it for the world, you know? Yeah. It's a, it's amazing, right? Like this. It, it's the greatest cultural exchange that exists is like this medium. And that's what I love about it so much. The fact that you can travel to South Africa and someone's going to come up to you. That's living 12,000 miles away from you. And you guys have a shared experience. <laughs> like they can come up to you and be like that, that story that you're doing that thing. And you're like, you know what they're talking about and you guys can like connect over it. It's like, I don't know when that started happening to me, I was like, holy crap that's like i felt like a responsibility that i, I couldn't really control yeah no it's true <laughs> I, I, I know because you're like I, I, I you know i'm not writing the story but you're you're doing your damndest to, to to live in it and 
hopefully, you know, there's something that somebody can relate to and, and, and learn from and bold and beautiful is pretty good about doing stories like that. Um, so was all my children always, always like awareness of whether there was alcoholism or, you know, rape, I don't, anything like that. Like general hospital, obviously they, they were one of those people too, that did that, you know, put awareness out there and tried to educate at the same time, which is great. And people come up to you and say, Hey man, I was really affected by that storyline and it, you know, it changed my life. It made me comfortable to talk about it because you guys were talking about it and, you know, being in their homes every single day, Monday through Friday, they feel like they're family. We're family to them. So, so I, you know, that's why I think they're really that connected. So listen, Jason, um, my sponsor, Boys Town, their motto is he ain't heavy. He's my brother. Um, The Holly song, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Meaning Mm -hmm. in our life, someone has carried us at some point. We've all had someone carry us. Who carried you? My mom. Yeah. Not literally when I was a baby, but yeah, my mom. I hope so. Yeah. She, was, yeah. <laughs> she um, yeah. She, she, like when I did that show in high school and I came home that first night and, you know, you get home late from theater. Right? That was what I learned the first night. It's like, oh man, it's late. It's like, 1130. I just got off the show. I'm, you know, buzzing from all the laughter and stuff. And, uh, you know, I had to go to school the next day. Um, my mom was up like walking the dog or something. Uh, I was outside and I, I remember telling her, I'm like, I don't know. Mom, I think I want to do this for the rest of my life. And she's like, then do it. <laughs> and I wasn't expecting her to say that because, you know, I was, you know, when I was growing up, she's like, every night say your prayers and pray that you get into Harvard. Um, so that was like a big change to go from like, you know, an Ivy league school to a theatrical career. Uh, but she said to, to go for it. And, uh, and when I started writing, especially professionally, she was like one of my first readers. And so, so yeah, like my mom for sure. Beautiful, man. Thank you for sharing that yeah. with us. Yeah, of course. Of course. I also want to say thank you so much for waking up so early this morning uh, to do the podcast with me. My pleasure. Yeah. And I'm really looking forward to working with you this summer. Uh, you're such a talented filmmaker, and I can hardly wait to see you in person and hear you say action. Oh, yeah. I can't wait, man. I can't wait just to let you loose is what we're going to do. Like if the audience wants to hear about this before we make it, that's the plan going in. (laughs) Cut to the podcast that you're going to do without me in three months. That asshole. Let me tell you. I had the worst experience of my life. (laughs) Yeah. That asshole. Um, yeah, man, I can't wait for it. I can't, I'm, I'm so excited. Just doing rehearsal yesterday. It was so exciting for me to like hear it start to the, the life to be breathed into it. Yeah. Just really neat. I love the process, man. And, uh, and thank you so much, uh, again for today and, and enjoy the rest of your day. And I'm looking forward to what is to come. Yeah. You too, man. Talk to you soon. All right. Real Conversations is proud to announce our partnership with Lane Frost Brand. We'll be doing a monthly giveaway of a different item each and every month. So be sure to enter. All you have to do is follow at Real Conversations with Jacob on Instagram, tag two friends, and be sure to download the latest episode of my podcast. And in the meantime, make sure you check out all the amazing merchandise for the whole family at lanefrost.com. 
I'd now like to bring on the manager of the Boys Town National Hotline and of course our resident professional, Chris Hallstrom. How are you today? Awesome. I'm doing very well, Jake. How are you doing? Good, good. Good to see you, of course, and hear from you. Um, Jason Cook, he started in the industry roughly about the same time. We were about the same age. Uh, he was 19. I think I was, you know, 17, but we used to be, we used to chum around Los Angeles and, you know, uh, and he was, he's not from there, but his family's, I guess they may think they migrated there, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> but he's had an incredible amount of success and, and now he is taking his from acting, moved into film directing, and he's had lots of success doing that too, um, which I just I find amazing. It's 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 not it's not about I guess the the dreams that you you, you maybe the dreams you put out there, but how you get there, that process of getting there, and um, it hasn't seemed to affect him, which I love that because so many young actors or directors they get caught up in this whole Hollywood thing, and uh, they're suddenly so much more important than anything out there. Um, and he doesn't exude any of that still to this very day. He sounded very grounded, very grounded. And I just, it's nice to hear people trying to evolve and do different things and try different things too. So, I mean, he's still in the same industry, but he's, he's looking at it from different angles, I guess. Yeah. He talked a lot about, um, being present. Um, and you know, this is something that I related with him on very much because, you know, when I was younger, no matter what the job or the task at hand, I made sure that I was being received and people were listening and knowing that I had compassion or passion about what I was doing at that time. Um, what do you think about the idea of being present? Well, I just think the whole mindfulness is so important just for your own success to make sure that you're being the best version of yourself you can be. Um, but also in your interaction with other people, um, if if you're in a situation, a social social situation where um, you're interacting with other people, to ask questions and listen to what they're telling you. Um, I, there's nothing I hate more than to strike up a conversation with somebody and you can tell that they're not really listening. They're checking for who else is you know coming in their um, line of vision or whatever. Uh, so just be that to other people, listen to what they have to say. And I, I think a lot of times, especially kids get very nervous and uncomfortable in social situations. And I think if they kind of get out of themselves and think about that mindfulness of the people around them, um, he said something about being curious and, and learning from other people. And truly that being curious about somebody's family, their history, what they do for a job is a huge compliment to people. Um, and they open up and um, are willing to connect with you on that level too. So uh, sometimes it's, it's not that difficult. Yeah, and, uh, and you're not only learning, connection. you're not only learning stuff about them, but you're probably learning stuff about yourself too. Exactly. Things, how, you know, how to better yourself. I mean, it's nice to ask people questions. I love to ask questions because I'm an inquisitive kind of person. Hey, I wouldn't be doing the podcast if I wasn't. Exactly. <laughs> but <laughs> kind of boring. It would be work. very boring if I wasn't asking <laughs> any questions. But but to listen to people and their stories and um, yeah, and you know, it, it 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 I tell you, anytime I engage in anybody, and any, it doesn't matter if I'm at the grocery store or buying groceries. 
And, and I engage. We've talked about this a little bit, saying hello. Hi, how's your day going? And, and then maybe even ask them something that's off the cuff that maybe they weren't expecting. Um, it goes miles and you don't know that what, you know, where they have been that day. And I think that's really what he was talking about being present because I also believe wholeheartedly your success will more success will come to you by being present. And, um, and, you know, I think if we could instill that as much as we possibly can. I know I, and my kids, um, shake hands, say hello. Um, you know, nice to shake hands again. It is right. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's something my dad, you know, always said, you know, Hey, make sure you look them in the eye and you shake their hands. And, And you know, those simple behaviors make kids so much more comfortable and confident when they have to meet new people. Because if they don't know what behaviors to engage in, they're looking down, they're looking away, they're not paying attention. It gives them confidence to meet people. Um, that seems like such a small thing, uh, but that's huge. And I remember when my kids were little, I would make them give me eye contact if I was giving them some sort of an instruction because I knew they were listening and they knew that they needed to zone in on what I was saying at the time too. So simple things like that can be huge as a parent. Right. And what about the idea that your child, you have expectations. Yeah. We want your child to go to college. That would be a great wish. Right. And let's say your child says, okay, um, I want to be an NFL star or I want to be a movie producer, um, or I want to be an actor. Um, how important is it for your, for parents to support children in those kind of dreams and ambitions? And what is the limit of, you know, the reality to that and how should they approach something like that? Well, it is very much a challenge because you want to see your kids succeed. Um, you don't want them to come up with, I want to be a, I don't know, astronaut and <laughs> they, they can't do math or whatever. Um, so it, it, it's a matter of having conversations with them and expose them to different kind of situations. Um, I always, I'm a firm believer in setting goals. And, you know, okay, so do some research. What's it going to take to um, do that particular kind of job or. That's all right. um, um, Do some, some, do some research in order to. Yes. Yeah. Do some research, find out. um, Is that something that you'd be interested in? Think about yourself five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now. Is that something you want to pursue? Um, and I think if if they start to make those goals themselves and are able to, you can tell, follow through and have realistic kind of expectations, then support them with it. Yeah. Um, but you can't, you have to help them process through that. I think that's the hardest thing as an adult, because, you know, as a parent, you think, I want my kids to do this and this, or I think they'd be really, really good at this, but it, ultimately it's their decision. And if they're not in, agreement with you, then they're not going to be successful. So yeah. yeah. And, and they That's might ultimately tough. not listen to you. Right. Right. <laughs> so it's a matter of give and take and have conversations with your kids. Right. Um, let them talk about what they're thinking and, you know, they may change their mind 10 times. Some kids do. So um, I remember sitting down and looking at colleges and um, curriculum and, and things like that. And you, you kind of sort it out together. So yeah, be a challenge. Yeah. It's gotta be a give and take. I think, um, you know, I've, yeah, I've had the conversation with my son. Yeah. He's in middle school, but you know, 
it's not that far off, you know, he's only, right. you know, four or five, five years. He's suddenly going to be thrust in the world of, you know, he's going to start to think, think about colleges in just a couple of years. Um, would I like him to go to college? Absolutely. You know, having some foundation for an education would be great. But at the same time, um, you know, if he's like, I, you know, if it's long as it's realistic artistically, I mean, right. I, I'm not going to accept I want to be a TikTok star. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's, that's that's a good judgment on your part, Dad. <laughs> well, I'm just trying to do my part here as a father. Right. Um, but you know, if I, I, you know, I want the, you know, if it's realistic, if he says I want to be a painter, well, then you go ahead and be the best painter possible, and we'll get the foundation built behind you. Maybe it requires going to some art schools, you know, or something that's outside of the box that's not quite going to college to get the mathematics and all that stuff. I'm I'm okay with that, but it has to be something that makes sense and realistic that we both can come to an understanding. I think that's you're so right. You have to have that relationship to do that. Yeah. Well, and just. Broaden your kids' experiences too. I mean, how many kids? I want to be a teacher because a teacher is the one thing that they've been exposed to for you know how many years. So, giving kids different experiences and and bringing that in on conversations is really important. So, yeah, it's you're always teaching as a parent. I loved when Jason's mom said he came to her after doing his first musical in high school, and he said, "You know what? I think I want to do this." And she's like, then you go for it. Right. I mean, he must have been really good. <laughs> yeah, he must have been <laughs> damn good. I was like, because I know, in, you know, my situation was different. But, but, uh, but, you know, that's, you know, my mom always believed in me. I know she did. And she would, she would have, uh, you know, she, she, you know, she would always follow me wherever, whatever dream I wanted to go to. And, um, but it was, it's, it's just nice to hear that story that, the support that was behind him. And I, of course, asked him that question, you know, what, you know, how important is the support of a parent, you know, in following dreams like that. And, and of course, you know, for him, it was, it was everything because he was pretty clear on yeah. what he wanted at a young age, but not everybody is, you know, a mathematician like him and can write like he can and has one can film festival and, uh, he's definitely a unique individual, but he's, he's, um, he's not only art an artist, he's book smart, which is very, very interesting. It's a very interesting combination to have somebody who's so well-read, but also mathematically inclined and also be an artist. Right. So to be so creative, you're right. Yeah. Creative and force. Like great social skills. And you can just tell, he seems like a really all around person. Yeah. No. And I'm excited to be working with him as you know, as you heard in the interview, of course, we're four for fun. It's a very, very interesting, unique script. Um, all of his stuff that he writes is really high concept. And of course it's only four characters. So it's a lot of dialogue, <laughs> a little bit of pressure, <laughs> a little bit That's of pressure. Artwork. He talked about, um, it's kind of like a recipe that, You've got the basic recipe, but he's willing to make adjustments. And um, that's a great analogy just for life. You know, there's a basic recipe that we all follow, but um, sometimes we have to turn different directions depending on the ingredients that we have on hand or what tastes better in the moment. Um, right. So that's all right. It's good to be flexible. You have to be flexible. I know. I, I don't I forget what ingredient is, but and this is this is like specific, but like with brownies, like my wife's like, if you take them out of the oven soon sooner than what they said they're not going to get so fluffy they'll be more dense you know i mean it's like everybody there's a taste of life i get the i understand right. the analogy but like if we follow a recipe it doesn't always turn out the way you want it to be exactly and if you're flexible you just might stumble upon something that's 
even better. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Chris, as always, I appreciate your time. I appreciate getting to talk to you every week. Well, that's about all the time we have for Real Conversations with Jacob Young, the mental health podcast, which is sponsored by Boys Town. At Boys Town, their slogan is, he ain't heavy, he's my brother. And for over 100 years, Boys Town has been saving children and healing families. They're only one call away, and they're always there to help. Please go to boystown.org for all the details on how to access Boys Town's health services, or simply go to yourlifeyourvoice.org. And if you're in crisis or immediate help, or need immediate help, please call the trained counselors at the Boys Town National Hotline at 800-448-3000, or text VOICE to 20121. Thanks for joining me on Real Conversations. I'm Jacob Young. Till next time, love yourself and love each other.